And so I welcome you to the Recovery House of Worship. We've been in a series, a series called This Is Us. And the reason that we, in this series, This Is Us, is because we're asking the question, okay, so now that I come to Christ, what does life look like with this new family that I come together with? Because when you come to Christ, we get a new family. We're called we're the family of believers. And since we're going to spend like all of eternity with each other, we should probably figure out about how to get along with each other. And so we've been asking this question. This is us. How do we connect with one another? How should we now live now that Christ has entered our lives? That's a series that we've been in. And today we find ourselves in uh, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. Now, before we do that, have you ever, um, have you ever had like a, a conversation with someone where they told you something about you that you didn't know? Did you ever have that conversation with someone? I, if, if you've been married, you've had this conversation. So here's what happens, right? It's sometimes, if you're lucky, it starts like this. Honey, we need to talk. Oi, oi vey. Honey, we need to talk are scary conversations to start if you're married. Honey, we need to talk. And here's what happens. And I've had a numerous of these, right, where, you know, we need to talk. And then... Like, this, is, this has happened to me like a hundred times. My wife will say something like, um, you know, uh, this is not, you know, something here. Edwin, you're spending too much time at work. You're not spending enough time with the kids. Edwin, I don't feel loved by you. And every time, almost every time, that happens, I'm like, oh, you're kidding me. I'm not like the best husband in the world. I'm not like the super most fantastic dad in the world. That's like super news to me. It's, you know why? Because I have an incredible gift to deceive myself. I can deceive myself in ways that you would be impressed by. In fact, think about this. I, when I was younger, did drugs to the degree that I qualified as an addict. Did you know that I was the last person to know that about myself? <laughs> Everybody else knew. I was the last person. Nobody was more surprised than me. Are you like that? Yes. <laughs> Do you deceive yourself? And it could be like, right, it could be like in marriage. It could be like an addiction, right? Like you're drinking too much. Have you ever told somebody who doesn't know that they're an alcoholic, but you can clearly see as an alcoholic that they're an alcoholic? Have you ever heard the response from that person? Never good. Never good. It's always bad, right? Why? Because this is not just a me problem. This is a we problem, isn't it? We have an unbelievable capacity at self-deception. Now, it's bad when we deceive ourselves about our issues of addiction. It's bad when we deceive ourselves about our issues with our spouse. It's bad when we deceive ourselves about our, our position at work. But it's really bad when we deceive ourselves about our relationship 
with God. Today, we're going to talk about how easy it is to deceive ourselves about whether or not we have a relationship with God. And we're going to talk about one, not test, but one examination that we can make in our own hearts to see if we actually have a relationship with Jesus. God, this is so important to God that God puts it in the book of James with unbelievably, like, glaring clarity. God wants us to help. Because God doesn't want you to live in self-deception. God doesn't want you to do life and think all is good with me and God when none is good with me and God. Now, this is important for us to think about because we're going to be having communion in just a few minutes. And when we have communion, it's all about reflecting on what God has done for you, in you, so that you can respond with that to God. You can respond to God in love and affection. But it's so easy, so easy to deceive ourselves. We see in uh, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 19, James is speaking to a church. James is like super practical pastor. He's like no minced words. He's like, yo, let's not, let's not speak about this. Let's be about this. Let's not talk a good talk. Let's walk a good walk. He's all about, all right, you're in Christ? Great. That looks like something. That looks like something. Now, it's important because um, I, was grow I, I grew up with sort of like a Pentecostal um, influence. And some of y'all, who here grew up like in a Pentecostal, with a Pentecostal influence, right? There's a few of you, right, right? There's a few of you. Okay, who grew up with like a Catholic? Uh, um, uh, okay, there's a few of you, right? Who grew up with like no religious uh, influence, like no religious, right? So there's a few of you. Okay, great, great. So if no matter where you are, whether you grew up like in the church or outside of the church, the basic consensus is the way that, ha that you have relationship with God is by being good, right? If you're good, God will like you. If you're bad, God won't like you. Here's the problem with that argument. None of us are good. None of us are good. Like, you might look at me and say, well, at least I'm better than Edwin. And you're probably right. But that's not saying much, is it? You see, our relationship with God is based on his goodness, about his gift, which is why in the first chapter, James talks about you received the gift that God gave you in his word. In other words, James talks about how this gift that God ordained for you to have is a gift that he decided to give to you, not something you had to work for, but something that he had to give you in order for you to be right with God. And what the gift was is that God himself came down, Jesus, and he lived the way we should have lived, but you know we didn't. And then he died in our place. In other words, he paid the penalty like, we deserve a punishment. 
Jesus took the punishment. Now, this is really good news for me. Because if there's any hope for me to get to heaven, it's not going to be because of any good that I've done. I promise you, I'm not that good. It's going to be because Jesus has done the good for me. And the way we say it here is that there's two ways to get to heaven. In the test of life, you have to score an A+. Perfect score. Right? So that's one way you can get to heaven. And quick question. How are you doing? Have you scored an A-plus in life? No, right? We've lied. We've taken things that don't belong to us. We've been insincere. We've hurt people. Sure, if you're over 10 years old, if you're over four years old, everything I just said is true about you. (laughs) Believe me, I got five kids, I know. Listen, two ways we can get to heaven. One is get 100 on the test of life. Two is have someone else take the test for you. Jesus scored 100 on your behalf so that you and I could get into a relationship with God. Isn't that good news? That is good news, especially when you're a moral failure like me. So now watch this. If that's true, James is going to start talking to us, but he's going to start talking to us in a way that is going to connect to your old life, uh, to your old way of thinking how you get good with God. The way I get good with God is I get good with, I become good. If you don't understand what I just told you, that you don't get good to get God, but that when God comes into your life, there's a goodness that flows out of you. If you get those two backwards, you live life utterly different. So James is not talking about how to get good to get God. James is going to be talking about once now you have God, the goodness that now flows out of your life. Do you see the difference? Now let's look. With that in mind, let's look at what James would have to say in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. Would you please stand? One of our tradi- another one of our traditions in this church is to stand at the reading of God's word. The reason that we stand is because we want to be reminded God is awesome and his word has authority in our lives. And because his word has authority in our lives, we stand and we go, you know, God, your, your words are more influential than my thoughts, my feelings, my perspective. That's why we stand. So let's, let's look at God's word uh, together. <coughs> Would you read it with me? Let's read it all together, okay? On a count of three. Uh, one, two, three. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by actions, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, 
and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Yeesh. This is God's word. Have a seat. All right. Now, you see why I had to tell you what I told you before? Yes. Okay, because if you read that, you go, oh my gosh. The only way to get God is to get good, and that's not the way to get God. The way to get God is to receive a gift from God. <coughs> is to receive a, the gift that God gives, which is, in sal- is salvation through Christ Jesus alone. So we see here that James is telling us something powerful. Now, if you read this and you see him say uh, in verse 17 in particular, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. Now, if you're a student of the Bible, you go, hey, isn't there like a contradiction here in the text, because in Romans chapter 3, Paul seems to be saying the exact opposite thing. In fact, Paul says in Romans 3, 28, he says this, For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law, or apart from deeds. So, you know, oh no, is this a contradiction in the text? No. I promise you, if you ever get to these um, uh, moments in time where you see, like, the, you feel like the Bible's contradicting itself, I want you to pause for a second. I want you to pause and think through this. Now, there's a couple of things to think through. Number one, if you remember in the book of uh, Acts, Paul goes to a council that, by the way, James is overseeing and says this very thing, hey, that the Gentiles, they come by faith, not by works of the law. And James and all the other apostles all agree. James knows what Paul said here. And so James is being very, very wise. He's, being, he's grabbing people's attention by what he's saying. But it's important to understand as well that James is concerned about faith after salvation. James is concerned about how your faith gets lived out after you say, I do to Christ. Does that make sense? Paul, however, is concerned about faith before salvation. James is concerned about faith after salvation. Paul is concerned about faith before salvation. How do I get into a relationship with God? It's by faith. Now that you're in a relationship with God, what is the fruit? What is the proof that you're in a relationship with God? There's these beautiful works. Um, Philip Melanchthon, which I think was like the protege of like Martin Luther, he said this. He goes, um, uh, we are saved by faith alone, but not by faith that remains alone. We're saved by faith alone, but not by faith that remains alone. In other words, what Melanchthon is trying to say is that we are saved, Jesus, by everything. There's no credit that I could possibly take for being saved. The reason that this is important is because if you take any kind of credit for your salvation, you'll eventually become bitter against God. 
In other words, if you think that your relationship with God is based a little bit about what you do and how good you are and about your sacrifices, there will be a moment in time where you get disappointed by God. And your response will be, after I gave this to you, after I was good, after I didn't have sex for four years, now you're going to do this? After I, I, I didn't use drugs, after you get angry with God. And if you believe, and by the way, you believe that you're saved by your good works if those are the arguments that you give to God. You can, after all I've donated to the church, this is how you treat me? If you believe that it's your, your works that got you saved, that's how you'll behave. Paul clarifies for us, no, 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 no. We are saved by Christ alone. However, when we are saved, there's a natural fruit that is produced. A overflow, if you will. A natural outcome. Let me give you an example. So, um, I, there was a day where I walked down an aisle and I said, I do, to my wife. After that, part of the overflow of that I do is that we sleep in the same house, on the same bed. Does that make sense? That's an overflow. Me sleeping in the same bed with my wife does not make us married. I'm speaking to some of y'all common law folk. <laughs> Me sleeping in the same bed with my wife does not make her my wife. Me sleeping in the same bed with my wife, although is an overflow of the commitment in marriage that I made with my wife. Does this make sense? So when... So, me coming to church does not make me a Christian. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being a, in a garage makes you a car. <laughs> or going to a donut shop makes you a cop. <laughs> All right, for all the cops here, I love you. You know, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Gosh, get all nervous on me. All right. I love, I love the police. I love the police. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> All right. Um, here's the point. Here's the point. There are, there are gauges that you look at and you go, I'm a Christian. You know why? Because look, I carry my Bible with me. I'm a Christian. You know why? Because I come on Sunday to this service. I'm a Christian. You know why? Because I pray in the morning. I'm a Christian. You know why? Because I memorize scripture. I'm a Christian. You know why? Because I'm fill in the blank. God says, wait, 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 wait. You want to test that theory? You want to you wanna, you wanna, a gauge to see if you're actually a Christian? It's this. How do you do with serving the poor? That's it. How do you do with serving the poor? When you see the poor, you're like, come on, man, get a job. The way we treat the poor indicates greatly, greatly about whether our heart has been changed for Christ. 
Now, this is the recovery house of worship. And because we're the recovery house of worship, I have to mention this. The fact is, is that many of us have made some decisions that have left us destitute at different periods of our lives. We made like a lot of bad mistakes with relationships, with drugs, etc. Lots of us, not all of us, not all of us, but lots of us have done that. And the reason that we serve addicts or the reason that we serve the poor is because, listen, we've been there. And so the motivation is, yo, I know what that feels like. I kind of have an idea, and so I, my empathy is drawn from my experience. My empathy is not, but you could be an atheist and do that. It's not drawn out of the well, the fact that Christ, who had everything, made himself nothing so that I can have everything. You see, when life is thought of, when, when the gospel changes my heart, then I look at that person and I go, oh my goodness, that person who's smelly on the street, that person who has no food, the person who, I, when I gave him $2, he used that $2 to, you know, get some other $3 and cop, whatever. That person is me, helpless to help themselves and need, uh, just like I needed with Christ. I needed Jesus to save me because I could not do it in and of myself. Now, Look at this. In verse 14, James asks two questions, and he says this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? What good is it? In other words, you say you have faith, but there's no, no byproduct of that faith. We have to ask ourselves, what good is it? This reminds me, anybody remember the movie? This is an old movie, so the young people won't remember, but some of y'all will. Eddie Murphy, um, Boomerang. Anybody remember that movie? Right? I think it was the one with Halle Berry. Right? Was that the one with Halle Berry? Yeah. <laughs> Dennis says it heartily. Yes! That was the one with Harry Berry. Yeah, okay. Halle Berry, right? Okay, so um, remember when he cheats on her, and then he comes home and he says, but I love you. And she smacks him and says, well, love should have should have brought you home last night, right? Right. In other words, meaningless. Your words are meaningless. Your words should have produced something. You know what I love you says more? When you come home the night that you're tempted. That's a far better I love you than speaking I love you. Do you understand that many of us right now are in the place where James is talking about? where our faith is a dead faith. Our faith is not a real faith. Our faith is a convenient faith. In fact, you could say that James is showing us two types of faith here, two different types of faith. The first one is a demonic faith, a dead demonic faith. You see it here in the first... Uh, in, in verse 17, he says this. I mean, he says this all through 14 through 17, but look at it in 17. He goes, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And then jump down to verse 19. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Think about this. Do demons know that Jesus is God? Mm-hmm. 
Do demons know that God is all-powerful? Mm-hmm. Do demons know that Jesus rose from the dead? Yeah. Do demons, in other words, do demons know as much as you and I know? And yet they're, it's dead demonic faith. To know doesn't mean that you're in Christ. You could just, you grew up in, you grew up in America. So you know about Jesus. You might have demon demonic faith, dead demonic faith. You might have shuddering faith. In other words, the the demons believe this and they shudder. In other words, they know that God is great. They know who God is and they're afraid. Some of us, that's how we believe. We know that God is great and we are afraid. We'll pursue God because we're afraid of losing our clean time. We'll pursue God because we know it's right and we don't, you know, we, we, we want to have some relationship. We grew up with Christ and we want to have some form of relationship with God. Listen, beloved, that is shuddering faith. That is demonic faith. That is not faith that transforms. Well, I'll follow God because ever since we started to come to church and ever since we started to sing these songs, me and my wife, me and my husband, we've been getting along. You see, it's a shuddering faith. It's a faith that's hedging your bets. It's a faith that says, I'm going to follow God because there's a benefit to follow God and there's a penalty of not following God, so I'm going to follow God. That's a demonic faith. And if you're here and you have a demonic faith, you have an awesome opportunity to just tell God the truth. God, I have a demonic faith. Would you change my heart? Would you, would you revolutionize my soul? Would you help me to believe the truth? So there's a dead demonic faith, and then there's this deed faith. And you can see it here in verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. In other words, James is saying, James is saying that there's a real connection to what happens in the heart and then happens in the life of a believer. There's fruit. And so here's what that looks like. That looks an awful lot like us serving those. God is super concerned about serving the poor. Now that has a double effect on our lives. Like I said, I I tell you this, I told you this last week, I'm going to tell you it again this week. I wouldn't preach this sermon this way if I was like in an affluent church. Because if you're in an affluent church, some of them don't know the hardships that you and I have known. Some of them don't know the poverty that you and I have known. And so there's a couple of ways we need to receive this. Number one, if you're poor, did you know that God is so for you that he tells Christians around the world to help you. If you're struggling with poverty, God is going, this is one of the indicators. This is one of the, this is one of the overflows that you are in truth following Christ. It's one of the indicators. That's one way you could take it. Number two, No matter where you are, no matter where you're at, 
there are going to be people that you come across with as little as you have or less. That's just the way it is. And that when you come across those people, if you're self-centered and consumed by your own lack, then you won't live out what Christ would have you live out in that moment. You see, we have an opportunity as a church to meet the needs of the poor, the hungry, the naked, the homeless, those who come right out of jail and just need a little bit of guidance on how to get reestablished in society. Like, we could be a church like that. You know, we have, uh, um, there are some people here, in fact, you're, you're seated here right now, who are homeless and we shelter them. We shelter them. But there might be a day where this building comes down and we build a new building here. Where would the homeless go? Oh, I have an idea. What if the brothers and sisters in this congregation just made it a normal thing of life? That if you, if you don't got and I got, we got. That if you don't got and I got, we got. That you, you find yourself, oh my gosh, you're homeless? No problem. Why don't you stay with me? Come, let's think this through together. You don't have any food? But I have food? We got food. I remember there was this uh, in the book, um, The Heavenly Man. Everybody should read The Heavenly Man. Heavenly Man was just a mind-blowing But Every time, I've never been able to read that book without, um, with, in every chapter, stopping the book and going on my knees and praying out and crying out to God. It's just one of those books. The Heavenly Man by Brother Yun. In that, he was, um, Brother Yun was, uh, got his legs broken. For all for, in China, Brother Yun was uh, a Christian. It was illegal to be a Christian in China. Um, still, they have great problems. Brother Yun, he uh, got both of his legs broken, um, imprisoned just for preaching Christ. Think about that. Just for preaching Christ. He got both his legs broken, then um, didn't eat for like 70 days. Ears shriveled up, like got, you know, then um, started to eat again, and he still wasn't back to normal strength. They gave him one, like, uh, like a little cake, like a little bread, and then a soup. That was all of his food. And he got it, and there was a, a crazy guy, a guy who was like acting totally insane, you know, like one of those guys that you couldn't even get close to. And he was also in his cell. There was a group of guys in the cell. And God spoke to his heart and said, give him your piece of bread. He's hungry. And Brother Young, in that moment, and you, you know how powerful this is because this cat was obedient like crazy. I, I, one, one day I want to be like that. He, he literally just stands there and goes, but God, I'm hungry too. And God goes, give him the bread. So here's this guy. His leg's been broken, didn't eat for 70 days. Bread, got, just got bread. Hungry. He's obedient, and he gives him the bread. And the man who's like, you know, real violent and crazy and, you know, he starts to weep. He says, no one has ever been kind to me. 
God uses that moment to speak to his heart in love. Brother Young shares with him the gospel. The man comes to Christ and then is executed because he was like, uh, but he was executed and he wrote his confession on a piece of parchment. He nicked the blood. He wrote it in blood, his confession, on a little piece of paper to be a, a testimony to his love for Jesus in his last few weeks of life. So is the power of us being generous and sacrificial. See, and if this generosity, if you look at the poor and you're like, come on, man. Or if you look to the poor and you go, oh, I know what that was like, but it's not, there's no gospel in it. In other words, you don't see yourself. What we're saying is, is that you might need to check whether or not you're a Christian because there's an overflow. If you've been loved that well, something comes out of you. So I wanted to illustrate this. And so I brought lunch. And so this is what I eat, right? Okay. Okay. Can anybody tell me what vine this is? Can anybody tell me what vine this is? It's a grape. What would make you say it's a grapevine? Why not an olive vine? Okay, because of what's attached to them, right? If, because grapevines don't produce olives. We all agree, right? Now, if this grapevine could talk and said, bro, I'm an olive vine. I'm an olive vine. You would go, no. Well, you, here's what you would do. You would go like this. Oh, that fruit is not olives. That's a grape. Listen to me. I'm telling you, you're producing a fruit. You are producing a fruit. And it's got to be, we want it to be what we say. Like what, what you're saying about how you love Jesus we want it to be in line with the fruit that's produced in your life. Your life produces a fruit. What fruit is it producing, beloved? Is your life lived on like, yo, I'm just going to do whatever and God will forgive me? Brothers, sisters, you are damned. Damned. That's nothing to laugh about. If I said, brothers and sisters, you got 10 years to life, Nobody would laugh. You are damned. Not because I say so. The fruit. Now, the question then is, do you have life? Now, if the if fact is, is that we, we can prove that we have life by how we serve the poor, then, the, then I have to ask, how are you doing serving the poor? So here's a thought. Uh, in, um, Zach, when he was giving his announcements, said, on Thanksgiving, we have an opportunity to serve lots and lots of people, lots and lots of food. If this Thanksgiving is exactly like last Thanksgiving and the 20 others that we had before it, 19, the 19 others that we had before it, 
there will be very few people in this church serving a lot of people. That's what will happen. Very few people cooking. Very few people. But what if, what if we were the kind of church that said, no, 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 I want to serve. Man, there are some of you who could cook an arroz con gandules like nobody's business. Man, serve the poor. Last night, last night, um, I was leaving my office, and there was a terrible stench, a terrible stench coming from, I don't know if you guys smell, if you didn't smell it, it's a testimony to how hard everybody worked to get that smell. We were, uh, we took a shipment of fish in, and then some of the, uh, the, uh, the liquid from the fish, have you ever smelled some of that stuff? It spilt on the floor. Somebody, I guess, forgot to mop it up, and it had a tremendous uh, smell to it. Here's my point. I wanted, there was part of me that wanted them not to clean it up. Because this is what it smells like to serve the poor. This is what it smells like. This is what it looks like. When we want to serve the poor, sometimes the place doesn't smell so nice. If we want to serve the poor, sometimes we don't have enough money because we're serving the poor. We don't have enough money to hire uh, 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 these professional people to work the children's ministry so that the kids have this like super great time that they would have in one of these mega churches. So we put our money to serve the poor and you don't get a better uh, uh, production over there or quite frankly over here because if you could hire, I'm sure you could do better if you could pay more. Um, But the fact is, is that we have decided that we're going to put our resources, our finances into serving the poor. And sometimes that leaves us with nothing else. Let's be a people who, because Jesus has saved us, because he, the one who was rich, saved us who were spiritually poor. Because he did that, let's make our lives lives of serving the poor. Now, what would this look like? What would this look like if all of us decided that this is what we're going to do? Here's what would happen. We would never have to worry about recruiting more people for the food pantry and the soup kitchen. Soup kitchens, we need more people to serve in them. You know that when we receive um, a shipment of food, hundreds if not thousands of boxes come in in those shipments. And do you know, there were just two weeks ago, there was a guy with a bad foot, a really bad leg, and a, uh, an elderly woman who was receiving the packages. It was the only two. I found out, I found out about it after it happened, and I just, wanted, I just wanted to cry. It's terrible. Brothers, sisters, we are the recovery house of worship, beloved by God, transformed by the power of the Spirit of God to serve others the way we have been served. Let let that be our story. Let that be our story. If you want to sign up for that, you have those yellow cards with you, do you not? In those yellow cards, even if you just put your name on those yellow cards, we pray for you. If you just, but if I were you, I would put something specific, like, you know, pray for my whatever. Pray for my heart to love Jesus more. Pray for my aunt to have suffering grace as she goes through the cancer treatment. Pray for whatever, right? Just write it down. But if you want to serve in a capacity that you haven't served before with the poor, we have food pantry, soup kitchen. We have mom's ministry. 
Single moms come in here all the time with nothing. And we give them bassinets and cribs and strollers and, 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 and just all the things that, you know, the, the, the formula and, and diapers and all the things that you can imagine. This is us, beloved. This is us. This is what the church of Christ looks like. We receive this incredible gift and then we serve out of the overflow of his love. My prayer is that that would be you. Number one, if you want to do something about it in that yellow card, just, hey, I would love to be a part of uh, the mercy ministry. Just put that down. I would love to be a part of the help ministry. Okay, put that down. And, we'll, and somebody from the help ministry will contact you in different ways, see where you can serve. Secondly, if you found that your heart, as you looked, you go, oh my gosh, I don't serve the poor. And here's the thing. Again, remember what I told us about self-deception? Because you walk by somebody and throw them a dollar, because every six months you buy somebody a bagel and you give it to them and it makes you feel good, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about premeditated, regular, sacrificial living for the sake of those who don't have. And you go, but I don't have. Yeah, 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 yeah. There are people who have less than we do. Let's be a church that inspires the rest of New York, that the poor would give, that the poor would give to the poor. So the second thing is, there's a prayer service that we have, and it's going to be Thursday the 24th. Someone say Thursday the 24th. Thursday the 24th is an opportunity for us to get together and pray together that God would transform our hearts and transform this community and bring revival. October the 24th, would you just make some time in your schedule to show up to that October 24th? I I believe it starts at 6 p.m. You could do that. That's a great place to start. And then lastly, if If your faith is dead, demonic faith, and not deed faith, would you just just call out to Jesus? Would you just go, God, I need you. God, change my heart. Transform my life. As we transition now to communion, I want you to be reminded that the God we serve sent his son He sent his son to die on the cross for us. And so this God comes and he has a meal. And in this meal, he says, he's trying to illustrate what he's about to do. And he says, this is my body broken for you. Take that personally. If you don't know Christ, if you don't know Christ, receive. What kind of God should you serve? Serve the God who would be willing to lay down his life for you. If you are a Christian, here's what Christians are. Christians are dearly loved moral failures. We're all messed up. But God has has given us grace and mercy Christians aren't good people trying to be better. Christians are dearly loved moral failures. If that's you, you can be down with the club.
Then in that same meal, he not only breaks the bread, but he also takes the drink and he says, this is my blood shed for you. His blood sacrificed for you. How many of you know of somebody who would sacrifice their job for you? Not many. What about their lives? Jesus sacrifices his life for me and you. He does it not because we deserve it. He does it because he's good and he's merciful. So if you're here and you don't know Christ, you have an amazing opportunity, an amazing opportunity to just tell God, listen, God, I'm a mess. I come to you with nothing. I have nothing to offer you. I come to you with my mistakes, my sins, my brokenness, my bad habits, my hang-ups. That's how I come to you. Would you give me your goodness and salvation, your forgiveness and your mercy? He offers it to you. The leaders who will be uh, distributing the uh, uh, communion, would you come up, please? And so... Here's what's going to happen. These beautiful people are going to sit with you or stand here as you pray. We all pray. Thank you. And I want you to take a moment. We're going to take a moment to confess our sins to God corporately. And then we're going to receive the forgiveness that God gives. If you don't know Jesus, now is the time to go, God, forgive me for all of my sins. And for those of you who find yourself in sin but are in fact in Christ, would you come to him to discover that he's far better than whatever sin you can give yourself to? So we're going to confess together. Confess how broken we are and how much we need him. We have a confession on the screen that I, I'll read to you and then we'll all read together. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a burden of guilt and shame. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open us to a future in which we can be changed. And grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Would you just go to Jesus? Listen, here's the good news. You don't have to be phony. Not with Jesus. You could be broken and sinful and ask for forgiveness and he has mercy to spare.